You are tired of average. You want more out of life. You know you're capable of something greater. This show will help you become resilient in your home, at work, and in your community. Welcome to the Resilient Humans Podcast with your host, Kevin Wood. Welcome back to the Resilient Humans Podcast. I have a special guest today. It's Stephanie Zamora. I hope I said that correctly. Yes. Yes. Uh, She's a coach, mentor, a process facilitator, also an author of Unravel, Awesome Life Tips, and What Really Happened. She also has her own podcast, uh, Tales from the Journey, and Make It Inevitable. Um, Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. I understand you just bought a fifth wheel camper that you're renovating. I did. And it doesn't need a whole lot of work, but it has been so out of my element to sand and prime and paint. And I've learned so much about electricity and batteries. It's been a lot of fun. So this is kind of like a a huge project for you that you're taking on. Yes, it is. And what's the end result? What are you hoping to get out of this? Long term, I actually really want to own land somewhere up north. I'm in New Mexico right now, but I really want to own land in the mountains where there's more precipitation and ultimately homestead and live off grid. So this I see as a way to save money and get prepared for that lifestyle. And then I'll have that while I'm building everything else out. That's awesome. What kind of drew you to that type of lifestyle that you're interested in? You know, a lot of people ask me that and it's so funny. It was actually during my last relationship because he was a very, and this is said without any judgment, but he had a life that was very fixed and he was very drawn to the traditional route of buying a house and living in the suburbs. And, you know, you kind of tool around to all your favorite spaces, places in the same town. And being in that relationship, I was doing a lot of my own healing and growth. And I was really coming home to myself again. And it gave this kind of contrast to I really don't want that life. (laughs) And so it really helped me see like, this is a lovely, beautiful life that people create for themselves, but goodness, am I not wired for it? (laughs) So where, how, how have you been learning about all these new things that you've been doing? Are you just like YouTubing things and kind of like figuring out as you go? What's, what's the process? A lot of it. Yes. I have, um, Personally, I've had, you know, different traumatic experiences in my life. So I have this initial like trauma response to not being able to understand things where I just am completely confused and I'll read my manual and I don't make sense of the words. So I've had to learn to like have my moment of freak out of, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this. I don't understand. And then when my nervous system, my nervous system settles back down, I go straight to YouTube because I love YouTube and I love podcasts and I love, like, I just love the internet because I get to access so many other people's knowledge and there's just so many amazing people making videos about camper living. I was actually thinking about that the other day. I was like, all the dads back in the day, they just knew how to fix things. They didn't have YouTube. How did they know? Like, that's what I I think things were engineered a lot more like simply. Like when I think about old cars, because my dad works on old cars, they were pretty straightforward and they were pretty much all the same. And now there's yeah. like all the computers and the technology. So I think they just, well, one, they were good at winging it, but it was also like, once you learned it here, it applied there and everywhere else. I guess so. Um, so yeah, you kind of jumped on here. You wanted to kind of give, I like what you wrote here about giving people tangible understanding of what it takes to heal and grow. Can you dive into that? Like what, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I think every healing journey obviously is different because every person's experience what they need that they need to heal from is different and they're a different personality. But to me, it has helped tremendously to just understand the process of things. And there is so much out in the world, especially online and social media, that's really inspiring. And that can be inspirational sayings or inspirational stories. But I found throughout my own healing and growth journey over many years that it's really unhelpful. Like what do these inspirational sayings really mean and how do you actually do the work to live them? And so I have found too, being a writer that I have a pretty good ability to describe things and to simplify them. And so for me, like the processes and giving people the processes is about normalizing that there is a structure and a framework and a methodology behind these different things that we do. If we're healing, if we're growing, if we're trying to make something impossible happen, if we're going after a goal, when you can understand that there are stages and there are phases and these aren't blueprints, 
that I teach or that even the things that I've learned from other people, because blueprints are like, do X, Y, and Z just like this, just like I did. And that doesn't account for the fact that we're all very different people having different experiences. So my work is very process oriented, but I have developed different frameworks that help you kind of orient to where you are inside of the process for each thing that you might be trying to do. Because when we can orient to it, then it feels less chaotic and crazy and out of control for us. But we can also start to understand, well, of course I'm feeling this way. Of course it's hard in this way right now, because this is where I'm at in the process. And when we normalize the challenges, especially we stop going into our stories about there's something wrong with me or the universe is sending me a sign that I'm not supposed to do this. You know, we go into our core wound stories. We feel like we're broken. There's something wrong with, with us because there's no normalization of at this point in the process, it's supposed to be really hard. You're supposed to feel this way. All your stuff is supposed to come up. You're learning new ways of being and you're creating new neural pathways. And so for me, it's about just really normalizing the processes that we go through. Would you say, so I, I really like what you said there. It's almost as if you were trying to resist that it would make that experience worse. Yes. So you're talking about like accepting it. Th this is where I am. This is the moment and it's okay to be here versus I don't like this. I don't want this. And you kind of push it away or even like push it down. That will make it worse. Not maybe in the moment, but down the road, it's definitely going to be worse. Would you agree with that? Definitely. Acceptance is a huge piece of the process. And then I would also add to that the level of acceptance that we need is to stop interpreting our experiences. So when we go into interpretation, I'm telling a story about what's happening versus what happening just being what happened, whether I'm struggling here or this thing happened or whatever it may be. When we go into interpretation, we assign meaning to it. And this is very much human nature. We all do it. And it's a wonderful skill that we have that we can use in other places. But when we're going through these processes and things are happening, like you said, being in acceptance is, okay, here's where I am, normalizing it, it's okay, but not making it mean anything good or bad. It's just where you are and what's happening is what's happening. We often, with those stories, embellish them, whether it's conscious or not, but we create all these different, I guess streams of thought of where that yeah. story is when it's really not reality, just what our minds do. We're very creative creatures, right? So yes. it's, it's natural, but yeah, accept it for sure. So you've kind of experienced your own grief and, and trauma journey. Um, can you kind of dive into that chapter and, and what, what that was like for you? Absolutely. So in 2014, I ended a two-year relationship with a wonderful human who just wasn't right for me. And he ended up stalking me for a couple of weeks. And when I asked him to leave me alone, he ultimately committed suicide. And that experience just flattened me. It made me question everything about myself, my relationships, my life, the world. And it left me with PTSD pretty bad. So my PTSD was so bad that I couldn't remember half the clients on my list. Even some of them who had worked with me for many years, I would drive in circles around my house because in the time that it took me to lap the block, I would forget that I was going home. I had really severe health issues, um, one of which was dysphagia, like the inability to swallow. I couldn't eat or drink for nine long days. I couldn't swallow my own saliva. I had adrenal fatigue. The PTSD led me into an abusive relationship. Like it was just this period of my life after that loss that everything got worse before I even started figuring out how to heal. And my business died a slow death. I ultimately filed bankruptcy. Like it was just this season of complete unraveling. And I learned so much more than I ever wanted to know about what it takes to heal and rise up and come back in the aftermath of these challenging experiences. And I am so grateful like genuinely grateful to be where I am now, to have the experiences that I have now, to have the people in my life that I do, to do the work that I do. But I think it's important to say for anyone who's been through a loss or a trauma of any kind, that that doesn't make me grateful that this person died and passed away. Like I learned again about the duality of how we hold different experiences and emotions. So it was quite an intense journey of allowing myself to come completely undone so that I could start putting myself back together in a way that made sense and worked for me going forward. What was the time span from 
from that moment to when you kind of started to come back? It was kind of, it was a while and it happened in, I'd say phases. So three years, the first three years after my loss were where everything really came undone. And I, after those three years is when I filed bankruptcy And during that period, I was such a shell of a person because of everything I had been through. Like my, my self-worth tanked. Um, My sense of self was just like up in the air, pairing the loss with the abusive relationship with everything else I was experiencing. It was like, I had just really lost my sense of direction and having literally almost died from the dysphagia. Like you can't go without food and water. You can't go without water for nine days. I had one IV in the middle of that. Like I was in a space of just happy to be alive and sometimes eating soup. So I wasn't trying to make money. I didn't care if I could pay my bills. I wasn't trying to like make anything happen. And it was, it was a series of experiences after that with certain mentors of mine where something just clicked back into place after those first three years. And it would still be another three three and a half years before I would move through all the layers of healing because it all like healing from the grief happened in layers, letting go of the guilt and the self-blame that I had happened in layers, reclaiming myself, figuring out who I was in the aftermath of all of it was a huge, long, arduous process. It took a lot of healing and a lot of learning and a lot of reorienting to myself and my life. So before I started feeling like a normal, happy, healthy, whole person again it was six or seven years that to some of our listeners that might seem like a like a lifetime yeah and it probably felt like a lifetime for you as well yes right like the initial three years that you described is like that's a long time that's that's a lot of days right and yeah maybe sleepless nights too so yeah and that's why i just want to stress the importance of the layers because even though I can look back now and say, wow, it was seven years before I really got here. There were milestones along the way. Like I started making a lot of money. I started having better relationships. You know, my health got better. So it's for anyone who's like, oh my God, I can't believe it could take even just a year. It's like you, you start to come back little by little. For sure. So in essence, you weren't at rock bottom for that length of time. No. Right. No. So what, I guess, what was rock bottom for you? When, when did that hit and how did you come from that? I would say rock bottom was the dysphagia, the not being able to swallow because there was no avoiding or hiding for my trauma anymore. And I had started to heal it little by little, but that was something that forced me to face myself. And it was so unbelievably terrifying and challenging. Like I would never wish that on my greatest enemy to not be able to swallow your own saliva, to not have food or water, to not be able to function, to have no idea when it's going to end, if it's going to end and to have, I had to fight really hard to get different specialists to check my throat, to have a balloon blown up in my throat. Like I went through all these tests and for everyone to just say, I think it's just anxiety. I think it's just anxiety was not what I wanted to hear. Like I didn't want there to be anything physically wrong with me. And at the same time I did, because at least I'd have an answer. And so I had to get insanely aggressive about being honest, speaking my truth, setting boundaries, saying no to things that weren't aligned for me. Like the physical manifestation of not being able to swallow came directly from swallowing too much of my truth throughout the years after my loss and in my abusive relationship. So in those nine days where I couldn't swallow, definitely my rock bottom. Would you say that was the hardest part? Absolutely. Yeah. So what, what triggered you? You mentioned that you talked to some mentors and stuff. What triggered you to start moving in the other direction? There was something very resetting about the dysphagia because like I said, it was nine days and I finally reached out to a mentor of mine who does a particular type of process work. And he's actually one who gave me my first process, which helped me get a majority of my brain back after PTSD. And so I was desperate and I called him and I was like, I haven't eaten or drank. And by then I think it was five days. I don't know what's going on. And he gave me a small process, but it was at 
day eight that he called to check in on me and he's like, you're still not eating or drinking. I'm coming over. And he came over with soup and bone broth and was like dancing around my living room, like singing a song, trying to distract me while also giving me a process at the same time and got me to eat soup for the first time, got me to eat something. And I had been so empty for so many days that it made me sick, but I ate like a fraction of a quarter cup of soup and having food in my system and being able to start slowly building on that. Like I didn't eat normally for eat or drink normally for almost a year. So in those first days after I started again, it was like, I could eat a little bit in the morning and then I would shut down for the day. But even just that, like even just being able to eat a little bit of soup a day and to drink a little bit of juice and to, to have that reset of, okay, I, I almost died. Like I could feel my body failing me, even though I wasn't in the hospital yet. Like my kidneys hurt. I had no energy. I couldn't think straight. My tongue was like as white as white can be. And so all of a sudden having nourishment, all of a sudden feeling like, okay, I might be able to get through this while also realizing this is happening because I've been swallowing my truth for too long. I have so much that needs to be healed. I haven't been honoring myself. Like I need to do things differently, even though I didn't have the energy to have like a big spark of reawakening and to do a lot. It just reset me to be like, okay, I'm still here. I have this shot to do things differently, like what's important to me and to, to start really getting to know myself after everything I'd been through and begin aligning my entire life. Was it almost like a glimmer of possibility? Like you saw kind of like potential off in the distance and you're like, there's something out there that I can go, go towards. Yes. And no, it was such an interesting space. I get goosebumps thinking about it. A friend of mine called it the space of all possibility and ultimate choice. There was this window where, and I, after the swallowing thing, I pulled down seven years worth of websites and content for my business to just to give myself space to reset. And so that happened. And I was sometimes eating soup and drinking juice. And I was just like happy to be alive and exactly where I was and completely detached from everything that had come before. And it was this weird sense of still being directionless, but also with a purpose. Like I knew that something would come at some point, but nothing was there yet. And it was like the sweetest, most comforting space. And as somebody who's like type A, goal achiever, go getter, (laughs) it's not usually comfortable for me to not know what's next. But in that period, it was just like, I know things are going to shift. I have no idea what that means, but it was probably a handful of weeks where I was just kind of floating in this space. And I loved the name that she gave it because it was a space of all possibility and ultimate choice. Like my life felt like it was so reset that I could go in any direction, but there was no urgency to figure out what that was yet. It almost sounds like faith. It's really just, you have faith, right? That's what it is. You don't know what it is. You don't know where it's going to come from, but it's there. But it's all going to be okay. Right. It's a very stoic type of mantra feeling, I feel. Yeah. Um, Earlier you described, or you kind of mentioned process work. Uh, Just for our listeners, can you describe what that is? Yes. And there's lots of different kinds. The kind that I do and that I was introduced to is kind of like a guided visualization. And There are some recordings that you can do that help you, but it's really beneficial to do process work with another person because we're dropping deep into ourselves, even deep into our subconscious mind, to our, like the depths of our soul with the intention of uncovering unprocessed trauma, unresolved grief, any emotions that haven't been dealt with that are stored in our body. And a lot of the times we think, that we've tricked our body somehow if we've stuffed things down or bypassed them or we've stayed strong and we haven't, you know, spun out in anger or grief or whatever it may be, like all of that stays in our body and trauma lives in the body and grief is a very physical experience. So the process work is about unearthing a memory, a trauma, a limiting belief, a fear, and actually getting the stored emotions out. And it's things we don't want to feel or process, things we don't want to think about or talk about. It's people we don't want to address and it's things that our subconscious clings to because even though they're painful, they're known and familiar and it knows we can survive that. So having another person that can move with you when you're resisting the work is so helpful. And for me, my first process was to deal with my PTSD 
And the thing about this type of process work is to empty out anything and everything that needs to be said so that you're not holding it. And for me, the one thing that I had to say, and I refused to say it at first, like I didn't even know what it was, but my mentor was like, you got to go deeper. There's something that that needs to be said that can't be said. What is it? And I'm like, "Mm -mm, I'm not doing it. So you have to have someone that pushes you because I swear he yelled at me. (laughs) He was like, you have to say it. And what ended up coming out was I was really angry at my ex for dying and messing up my life, which is not something you're supposed to say or feel when someone commits suicide. So with the process work, it's like you have to get everything out that's been stored. And I have found that with my clients that I have to gently nudge and push them towards say the thing that you feel like the biggest jerk for saying, like you're not allowed to think or feel like scream and yell, tell them you wish they were dead, like whatever it might be. But the intention is very much to get what's stored in the body out. So yeah, it's really just verbalizing it as opposed to just keeping it in your head. Yes. And you might experience shaking or you might like have a well of emotion, whether it's screaming and rage or just like sobbing. It's different for every person. Like I shake a lot. I tend to like, that's how my trauma releases, but some people, they have to yell. And if you don't yell at the level that you need to, if it's like stored rage or something, if you're just like, yeah, I'm angry, that's not enough to move it. So it's, it has to be this safe space with someone you feel safe with that can hold space for it. But yeah, it's like, get it all out. That's interesting. Um, I work with a lot of clients. They come to me for nutrition stuff. It's rarely about food though. It's Mm. always something deeper. Food's the last link of the chain when it comes to this. And oftentimes when they start crying or when there's deep emotions coming out, I know we've hit something valuable and I want them to know that, that it's not, don't be ashamed that you're crying. Like don't, don't feel like it's not allowed it's that's a valuable piece of information. Like we, we dug so deep and we found yes. something that's going to create change. If you're crying or if you're creating this or expressing this emotion, it means something. If you're just chatting and yeah. da, 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 and whatever. Okay, great. But it doesn't mean anything until there's that emotion attached to it. So I feel like that's so what true. process work is kind of like all about. Yeah. And that's you doing a form of process work with your clients. Like a lot of people around nutrition don't do that. And I, I love that you do that. It's so important. Yeah. It's been a, a game changer. And it, and really it's not me. I don't tell people anything. I just ask questions. Yeah. <laughs> that's all it is. <laughs> if you ask the right question, you can get, you can get them to yes. bring up the right response. And right? hold space. Like, I don't know you very well, but in the minutes that I have, like you definitely have an energy and a presence. And so the person who helps you process whatever capacity, friend, family, mentor, coach, there has to be someone that you feel safe with and that can hold space for it. Like a lot of people can't because they feel like it gets on them or they get triggered. And it's like, it's like you said, you just ask questions. And if the emotion comes, you're just like, cool, let it be here. I consider it like a success. I'm like, yes, yes. I, did, I don't do that when they're crying, obviously. <laughs> but that's, I'm like, yes, I reached them. So anyway, yep. it's a lot of fun. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about um, the hero's journey? What does that mean? Yes. So the hero's journey is a narrative pattern that was created by Joseph Campbell. And it's a three acts and 12 stages make up this hero's journey. And it's at the core of every book, every story, every myth, every movie that we've ever seen. It follows this narrative pattern. And once you study it, even if you just look at a graphic of it, you'll see it at play. And in the first, I guess it was like six months after my loss, I realized I was writing a book. Like I've always written, but I started writing these things that didn't feel like they belonged on social media or my blog. And I realized that I was writing a book about everything I was going through. And so one of my mentors gave me the writer's journey. I forget who wrote it, but it's the hero's journey for screenwriting, even though I wasn't writing a play. And it's a really good book if you ever want to learn about the hero's journey, the way that it breaks down all of the roles of the different people that are within it and all of the stages and experiences. And so I'm reading this book, trying to understand, like, how do I write this book well? Because I've never written a memoir before. And in reading about the hero's journey, it made me realize what an incredible tool it is for personal growth and healing, because what it does is it gives you a map 
and not again, a blueprint, like you're here. So then you must go exactly here next, but it gives you a sense of the process of healing and growth. And when you can orient yourself to where you are on that map, it just helps tremendously because anyone who's going through big growth or, or big healing, any kind of healing, it's very disorienting, especially if trauma or loss has been involved or like something that has shaken up your sense of self and your experience of life in the world. And so the hero's journey helped me see, oh, I'm right here. Like I'm deep in the underbelly of the journey. And now I have to go through this death and rebirth process. And after death and rebirth, this happens. And it was particularly helpful for me. So part of the hero's journey is the second ordeal. And that's essentially there's death and rebirth, which is like the big battle with the bad guy right? Like the person fights with the other person and thinks they killed them and they go through this whole experience and they're changed because of it. And now they've learned a lesson or they've gained some kind of wisdom or they've gotten the thing that they were fighting for. And then there's a second ordeal. And this is when the bad guy comes back from the dead because he didn't die in the first place. Or there's that like big car chase scene at the end of a movie. And it's the second coming of the death and rebirth experience. And I was reading about this when I was at a part of my journey where the grief was so consuming. It was 11 months after my loss and I was just broken. And I was so convinced I'm never going to heal from this. Like I'm always going to be broken and grieving. Like how, how will this ever change? And I felt the intuitive hit to pick up the writer's journey. And I was reading about the second ordeal and it clicked for me that we don't just go through all the experiences and go through death and rebirth and then swing back around to normal life. Like we don't hit rock bottom and bounce right back up. It's a choice. I had to choose now to move through this ordeal in a more productive way and to actually do the work to rise up and come back. And it was this very light bulb epiphany moment that didn't change things overnight because the choosing is the hardest part, like choosing to rise up and come back, whatever that means for you is the hardest work that you'll do in these journeys. But all that to say the hero's journey, it just, I think that everyone should study it if they're on a healing or growth journey, because it gives you so much insight and it helps you navigate each stage. Fascinating. I love that you use the word choice. We choose and it's, it's, uh, it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain to somebody that it is their choice when yeah. oftentimes when they're in the midst of it, they don't feel like they have any choice at all. So how do you get people over that? Mm, or can you? Question. Yes, I believe so. The most important thing I feel that I experienced when I was in it is that you have to meet someone where they're at before you have any right to teach them, coach them, guide them, help them. Because if they don't feel like you understand where they are, either because you've been there or you're just able to tune in and see what they're going through. Like they don't want to hear what you have to say. And I learned that in teaching when I first started teaching different workshops and classes, like I could tell when I went right into like, here's why I'm so awesome. And here's the cool things Mm -hmm. I know that you should learn that, you know, people are just like, screw this person. Like she doesn't know my life. She doesn't know what I'm going through. She looks like this. So she must have a different life. And so I learned to start by sharing my story and my experience, and even to name the fact that there are parts of this work where I'm going to tell you things that make you want to smack me so freaking hard because it's so annoying. Like even just acknowledging that, like, I know that this feels impossible and overwhelming. I know that you hate me right now. And you think that I'm the stupidest person you've ever met. I know that you feel like I don't understand what you're going through. Like even just that builds a level of trust. And a friend of mine describes this and he's a speaking coach, he describes this as earning the right, like earning the right to say anything to someone. You have to meet them in it. And so that's what I do. Like I will meet you. And I'm I'm very good at that because I understand because I've been there, but also because I'm very comfortable in the dark and twisty. Like if you're in rock bottom, I can climb right in there with you and hang out until you're ready to get up and mm-hmm. go. But you're not going to listen to me and you're not going to take my hand and you're not going to let me help you if you think that I'm like living some happy, shiny life and I have no idea what you're going through. So I really work to meet people where they're at. And the normalizing of it, I think, is really key, like normalizing how you feel and why it feels impossible. 
versus just, you know, again, the inspirational sayings like buck up, you can do it. Like think positive and everything will change. (laughs) Maybe positive thinking is a part of the equation, but if I don't meet you in the place where you're just like, screw it all, this world and this life sucks. Like you're not going to listen to me. Yeah. You're just going to say, shut up. You don't know anything. Basically. (laughs) Smack. So basically you're just describing empathy. Is that? Yeah. It's really what it is. Meeting somebody. Is that, tell me how, how you would describe it. Empathy is a part of it. Like you have to understand their experience. So you have to be tuned into them. You have to have that level of empathy. And I really think it's critical. And I, I know from my own experience that not a lot of a good amount do, but not everyone has the skill, even trained therapists and coaches and whoever, like meeting someone where they're at is the empathy piece. And it's also being able to show them that you understand and to explain things in such a way that it makes sense to them. Like meeting me in my rock bottom would be different than meeting someone else than meeting you. And so that's the empathy piece. And it's also being able to break the processes and experiences down to where I don't feel broken anymore. If you're talking to me, I'm just like, oh, of course I feel this devastated right now. That makes perfect sense. And that makes me feel seen and heard. It's almost instead of saying that you understand, it's just creating the space for them to be open about their experience. I think that's what it's more about than you saying anything. It's you providing the space for that, right? And making that okay. Like I work with a lot of people that have suicidal ideation and it's not helpful for them if I freak out about that and I'm weird about that. And I'm like, oh my God, should I call somebody? Like me being like, of course you feel like that. Why wouldn't you? This is what you've been through. That makes them feel like, okay, I'm not a crazy lunatic and I can actually now speak and share more with this person. And I might even be willing to do a little bit of work. Would you, what's your opinion on this? Do you think that somebody has to go through a rock bottom for them to make that choice to come Mm. out of it? No, I don't. Something a mentor said to me was, what if you raise rock bottom to meet you? And I think that there is a lot of wisdom in that because rock bottom is essentially like you've bottomed out. There's there's nothing left to do, nowhere else to go except to make the choice now to either stay here or rise. And so we can raise that at any point and make that decision because decision is an energetic frequency. Like we move through the world differently when we're decided. We know how that feels. So if you can reach that same energetic decision, you can raise rock bottom. You can say, you know what? I don't need to go any lower. I've learned all that I need to learn here. I'm ready to make a change. And I also feel very strongly that there are times that if we don't go into the depths of our bottom because we're afraid to. So if you're making a decision to avoid it just because it's uncomfortable and you don't want to deal with it, it's not going to be the same as if, okay, you know what? I'm going to go into the depths of my darkness and my bottom right now. And I'm going to really process what's there. I'm going to feel what's there. And I'm going to get in touch with myself from that space so that I can actually really come from a fruitful, renewed, cracked open state and make choices from there. So it's a discernment thing. I think a lot of the times we can raise rock bottom and just decide this is it. This is as far down as I go. And I've done that. And there are other times where we actually do need to go into the depths and we're just trying to avoid it because it's scary. It's still in order to raise rock bottom, you still have to decide and make a choice. Yes. How do we get to that point? It has like what you want has to matter to you. Like you have to really want the thing that you want. And that is what I know I have felt at rock bottoms where I wasn't deciding that this was it. I just bottomed out there and I hung out there (laughs) for a while because I didn't realize it was a choice to rise up. And going back to the example I shared, like the 11 months after my loss, and it was so in the grief and I was so over it. Like I didn't want to be grieving and broken anymore, but I was so convinced that nothing was ever going to change. And it was realizing that it was a choice was like, okay, I had to tap into my desire. Desire is what drives us forward. Desire is what pulls us through the challenging parts of the work And when you're at rock bottom, your desire is really small and that can be enough. Like I really wanted to stop crying all the time. I really wanted to be functional. I really wanted to be engaged in my business again. And that was enough, 
even though I didn't know every detail of what that looked like or how I would do it. And I didn't believe it was possible to make the choice that, okay, I'm going to be done with this. And that choice and that desire combined had to show up every moment. Like every first choice was really small and seemingly insignificant. Like there were days I had to choose to just get out of bed. There were days that I would drive myself to the gym and I would make a lap and not do anything and go back to the car and cry myself all the way home. Like that's what choice looked like for me at first. And so you have to really want the thing that it is that you're choosing to go towards because even though rock bottom is painful and consciously we don't want to be there, it becomes known and familiar. Like I knew how to be broken and grieving and to have a life that was completely undone. And so it took a lot of moving through the subconscious pieces, tapping back into the desire. Why do I even want this? Why is this important to me? And the constant choice, which is the hardest part. Yeah. I did a, a meditation this morning. I use a uh, headspace and the quote at the end of it, I screenshotted it and it's, it's true. I'll read here. There's always a way forward, even when it seems unclear. And I sent that to somebody and she goes, do you have telepathy? Like I swear <laughs> that I needed to hear that this morning because my kid was on a war path. Mm, yeah. I was like, no, I don't think I do. But anyway, I guess <laughs> <laughs> there was something calling me to do that. I wrote down what you said here. It's, this is the quote of this podcast. What you want has to matter to you. Like, that's it. That's it. How do we find out what we want though? truly what we want. So how, what's, what's your answer to that? You have to be in alignment. So it's not a direct answer of do X, Y, Z. Alignment is about being like, we're always in alignment. The question is with what, if I am more concerned about what you think about me, I'm aligning to you. And so I'm going to behave differently. I'm going to take on your interests. I'm going to decide, you know what, in order to stay in this relationship or to have you think of me a certain way, like I should want this. And so a lot of times we take on desires that aren't ours or they're rooted in ego. Like people will see me as successful if I have these things or people will love me if I have these things or I'll be beautiful and acceptable and whatever it is if I have these things. And so we're always aligning. And in order to know if you're in alignment, you have to have a relationship to yourself. You have to have a relationship to your body and your intuition. You have to know who you are. You have to know your personality and your energetic wiring and it starts with coming home to yourself, which is for many people, myself included, some of the more challenging work because we're so enmeshed with other people and we're operating from these winning strategies to stay safe, secure, and successful, to have love and belonging. And so it's a lot of untangling work to just come back to like I did. Here I am living this perfectly lovely life with this perfectly lovely human and striving for things that I don't actually want. And so I had to rebuild a relationship to myself. I had to take space from, you know, letting that relationship go to even letting some of my mentors and coaches go for a while so that I could hear myself again and I could be with myself and I could start to hear the desire of, I really want to live off grid. I want to live on land. I want to live in a camper. So you have to have that relationship to yourself first, and then you have to be able to trust it because some of our desires other people won't like them. They'll reject them. They'll judge us for them. They'll take us away from all of these things that we've built and we've worked so hard to have or relationships that won't want to go with us. So there's a lot of fear that comes up. So sorry, not a one, two, three answer, but uh, that's what I would say. So I'm sure there's a ton of different ways to find yourself. Maybe you could give like one or two strategies or things that people could do to actually put that into practice. Solo time. I'm a big yeah. fan of solo travel and I think it can look like anything like waking up early. If you have a family and kids and having that time with yourself in the morning, maybe you meditate. I meditate. Sounds like you meditate. I journal every morning very religiously. So I'll write at least three full pages longhand and I'll just let things empty out. But any kind of solo time, go for a hike, go for a walk, take a solo trip, a solo weekend, bake it into your routine somehow, because the more time that you're with yourself, and you're not surrounded by the noise of other people. And solo time does not mean watch TV and listen to podcasts, like just be with you. <laughs> I just made a post about this yesterday. I swear nice. to God, <laughs> I was talking about rest and we don't yeah. actually rest because everything that we do has to be productive or have a purpose. 
And yeah. there needs to be time where we're not doing that. We always have a phone in our hands or in our pockets. So my recommendation for yeah. resting was doing things where there's no electronics, no distractions. Yes. It could be have a bath, pray, meditate, just something that it's go for a walk in the woods. Just yes. you keep your phone and iPod, whatever at home. The Absolutely. best thing I've ever done for myself is start to solo travel and to, in particular, camp outside of cell service. And I'm not like technologically advanced in the sense that I don't have Spotify where you can like pre-download everything. So once I'm <laughs> offline, I'm disconnected. Yeah. And I even I even just leave my phone far away from me because otherwise I'll listen to music. But the second that I'm in nature and I can feel that I'm outside of the bubble of connection, everything settles and I have the best clarity and downloads. Absolutely. Uh, we we have a, a business practice that we did here. It's called the Vivid Vision. And so it's kind of like a five-year plan. But when you create it, you can't be in your place of business mm -hmm. or in your house. You have to be yes. outside and away. So we went on this like retreat at one of these dream domes, like a geodesic dome and hot tub. And it was a mate, like just like in nature. And it was awesome. Um, and that's where we had the most clarity of like, what do we actually want? But when you're surrounded in the box, basically, your your ideas become box-like as well. Yes. That is exactly why I pulled down, and I don't recommend this for everyone, seven years of content and websites was to get myself away from myself so that what was supposed to come next could come through. I love that. Um, it sounds like we're on the same wavelength. Like this, It's awesome to hear that other people also feel the same way and practice the same way. It's not just crazy Kevin talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to hear what your um, definition of resiliency is because everybody that I interview, it's all different, which is amazing. So I'd I like to hear that. what your take on that yeah, would be. Yeah. I love resiliency. When I first learned about it, it was that idea of being able to bounce back. And so I have two thoughts on resiliency. And the first is that I think at least for me, my association for a long time was that resiliency was a type of strength. And I do believe it is like, it's a, a strength and a skill that we have, but I have found for me in order to be resilient, there, there has to be softness and surrender because bouncing back. And again, I have a thought on this piece that's a little bit different, but bouncing back looks different every time that we do it. Like we're constantly being shaped by life. The times that we live in are constantly changing. When we go through anything, we are altered as a person to some degree, and we have to build a new relationship to everything around us. And some of the things that knock us down or knock us over just alter our lives and who we are so immensely that if we don't have the ability to be surrendered and open to what it means to bounce back and come back to where I was before could actually still look completely different. And what's going to be needed for me in order to move forward from here is going to be completely different than anything that comes before. So I used to have a very like, I'm, I'm strong and I can bounce back to right where I was. And now it's like a softness and an openness and a sense of surrender of I don't have to be in control. I don't have to know where this is going. And then something that I learned in a post-traumatic growth workshop about the idea of resiliency is that in post-traumatic growth work, so after a challenging chapter or a trauma or a big loss, something that really deeply alters us, the goal is actually not to bounce back to where you were before. It is to step into who you are and who you're becoming and to rise above that. Like, And I love that so much because there's such a, at least for me, there was such a desperate attempt to get back to where I was before, to get back to the life I had, to be the person that I was like, I just wanted to get back there. And so the softness and surrender of, I don't know what's going to happen and what it's going to look like and the striving and choosing to, I'm going to actually make life better than it's ever been. Understanding that that definition will be revealed to me as I go. And it could look completely different than what came before. I think what you said is so important. It bears repeating about bouncing back, not to where you were before, but to where you're going. That is absolutely true. And I think a lot of people, especially business owners um, that just went through COVID can definitely resonate with that. Like a lot of businesses didn't, didn't make it through, but the ones that did, we are not the same as we were before this early 2020 we're not the same business at all. And that's 
a good thing. And you're probably better for it, even if things look different. And again, that's not that's not to say that we're grateful for the crappy thing that happened that threw everything into chaos, but we are we can choose to create something that was better than what came before, even if we still grieve that. And so I've seen that with a lot of a lot of businesses. They're so different. And in many ways, they are so much better than they were before because they learned so much about themselves and their audience in the process. Absolutely. And individuals can take that same idea. It doesn't, you don't have to be a business owner to have that concept. You used it through trauma and grief and it changed you. You, you didn't bounce back to where you were because looking back, you don't want to be that same person. It's, you're a completely different person now, but you are you happy where you are now? I am happier than I've ever been, truly. Right. And yeah. why? Why is that? Because I am more fully myself. And and I always say purpose is my purpose. I have spent my entire life trying to understand purpose. And it's the basically the foundation of everything that I talk about and teach. And life is constantly shaping us. And these breakdowns that we go through crack us open. And they shake away everything that's not aligned. And they give us an opportunity, if we choose to take it, to get to know who we really are more and more each time. And so I went through this period of loss after loss, trauma after trauma, devastation after devastation, like my whole life came undone, even my health. And I am so much more who I'm here to be and so much more aligned with the truth of who I am and with what I want and with my purpose. And I'm so very different in a lot of ways, but yeah, it brought me home to myself. And I think if we, again, with the choice piece, choose to allow things to shape us in a way that's meaningful for us and to take these opportunities to let the things that are meant to fall away, fall away, to let the changes that are meant to happen, happen, to stay open, which is really hard when we're in a painful place. We just get to know ourselves so much better. And the more you know yourself and live in alignment, you can't help but be more happy and fulfilled. It strips away all the BS when you become more vulnerable, when, sorry, when you choose to become more vulnerable. I think that choose word is so important. A lot of people feel like they, they are stuck. They don't have a choice. They, you know, it is what it is, but it isn't. There's, there's always something that you can do. And no matter how small it is, we see that with people walking through the door here. Oh, I'm, I can't do this because my shoulder hurts. Okay. Well, there's a shit ton of things that you can do, (laughs) right? So it's, don't focus on the can't focus on what you, what is possible and what you can. And even if you don't think that it's, you know, within, within grasping range, that's okay. What's the very first step that, that you can do? Yeah, absolutely. I like to end all my podcasts with a, uh, a specific question and it's what is one piece of advice that you can give somebody to become a more resilient human? Hmm. Build that trust with yourself and your intuition and learn discernment, which goes hand in hand. So building that relationship to yourself and how your intuition communicates to you. So intuition lives in the body, not the mind, which means your body is always responding to stuff. And as we go through life, especially before we do any personal growth work, we don't have a relationship to our body at all. We're so up in our head and we don't even know how our body says yes and no. So starting to build that muscle even with small things like, do I want this off the menu or that? Like looking at the menu, there's something your body does. When you're deciding if you want to go out or go see a movie, your body is actually communicating to you every time. So when you can build that practice with your body and you can start to notice, oh, I had this like this like twinge in my stomach, but I went to the party anyways. And you know what? I had a really rotten time. I think that might be a way my body says no. Like you can start to build that mm. muscle and that understanding on small things. And then when you get to the big things, should I leave the relationship? Should I quit my job? Should I move across the country? You have that ability to hear your body respond. And then discernment on any journey, everyone else is going to have an opinion about what you should be doing based on their own fears or their own desires. And we live in this world of systems, which are designed to keep us in whatever status quo that system has designed or has decided is what is right. So we move through all these systems in life that are actively trying to strip us of who we are. So if you don't know yourself and have a relationship to your intuition, you can't feel what's right for you, but then discernment 
when the world or other people are coming at you with, you should do this. And this is what I think. And that's dumb. Can you discern despite that? I know that this is the opposite of what everyone is saying I should do, but I know in my bones, it's right for me because we can't make the choice and get anywhere in life without that discernment. That's great. Going back to that, your body talking to you, is that how you use your journaling is to kind of track that and, and I guess almost itemize, like when I feel this, this is the reason or so that you don't keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Yeah, you definitely can early in my journey. And it's a practice that I give to clients now is to keep a log of exactly what I said. Anytime you're presented with a choice or decision or opportunity, notice what your body does. And you have to learn to discern between fear and a no. So yes, and our body is expansive, it's energizing, we might actually lean towards something, we feel open, no will show up as contraction, resistance, tension, we might lean away from something, and what your body does specifically will be different than what mine does. But the thing about fear is fear originates in the mind. So you have to start to discern. So like if if you invite me somewhere, but it scares me because it's a big opportunity or there's a lot of exposure or risk... I'm going to think a thought that's not safe and that's going to trigger my body to go, but really there might've been a blip of expansion and excitement before I thought the thing that caused my body to say no. So you have to have that relationship and yeah, keep a log of everything that you do big or small and really start to trust and experiment with, okay, well, I usually go to this thing all the time, but today I'm feeling that little twinge that told me not to eat those things three days ago. What if I listen and I stay home and I just see how it goes? Or "Mm, I'm feeling that expansion before I had the thought that made me scared. What if I say yes and see how it goes and just experiment? And pretty soon you'll know your intuition so well. Mine is so quick and I don't even have to, I mean, over big things. Do I want to take this client on? Do I want to move across the ocean? My body says yes or no. And I just listen. There's a reason it's called gut instinct that's inside of us. It's not, it's not brain. It's what's in your gut and you can feel that oftentimes you can use your breath as a good indication. Are you breathing high and into your chest or low and slow into your belly? That's probably a pretty good indication of the decision that that you could make. So trusting that our bodies are wiser than we are when it comes to discerning things like they're very tuned in. Our body is a wise animal that we're in partnership with. So can you actually start to have a relationship to it? That's amazing. Stephanie, it's been a real pleasure having you on this episode. Uh, I wrote down so many notes. It's awesome. So again, I learned so many things um, and I hope our listeners get a lot out of this. Um, Any final thoughts on your side? No, just thank you so much for having me. I had the best time talking with you and I love the work that you're doing. Thank you for doing it. It's very needed. And yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest episodes, be sure to subscribe and I'll see you next time.